This is the widescreen podcast, show number 294. Why am I sounding like Eeyore, who, well, without as deep a voice? Well, I keep telling people on my Twitch stream that my podcast is perfect for those who suffer from insomnia, so I might as well live up to that. But I gotta be careful, or else it might start affecting me. Anyway, anyway, but that was a really dumb intro. I don't care. I really, <laughs> I don't care. This is the widescreen podcast, show number 294. I am the big bad burger, Meister Meister Burger, and uh, hi. To any new listeners, this is the, uh, well, this is one of many, many, many podcasts about movies and so forth. But I like to call this one as the podcast that is made by the average Joe for the average Joe. I am not a Hollywood insider. Hell, I'm, I'm on the opposite coast for crying out loud. I don't know producers. I don't know actors. I don't know interviews. I don't do interviews. I don't know interviews? What the hell? I just started. I, I must be tired. I, whatever. Anyway, I like to say that this is the podcast that talks about things that you might talk about with your friends at work around the water cooler. I have an a completely unknown podcast in a very flooded market, but I have a small but loyal listener base, and you know what? I am totally cool with that. Just like with my Twitch stream. I don't want to have, you know... I don't want to be one of those 50,000 followers and, and so, you know, I'm happy with just a small amount of, of loyal followers who are in the chat. You know, every time I stream, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. So speaking of my Twitch stream, those of you who play Warframe, any of you who play Warframe, July 4th is my one year streamiversary. I have no idea why I started on July 4th of all days. My only guess is that if I remember correctly, July 4th last year started on a mon- or on a Sunday, which means I got Monday off, and knowing Pennsylvania, it was probably raining that night, so there were no fireworks or anything like that, so I probably figured nothing else going on, I might as well stream. That would be my guess. But yeah, whatever, so July 4th is my one-year stream anniversary. I will be streaming both July 4th and July 5th. It is going to be primarily a Warframe stream because Digital Extremes has given me a whole bunch of things to give away. And because the stream will also be going to benefit the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, it is going to be a charity stream. The folks at Digital Extremes offered me the ability to give uh, Platinum away for Warframe every single hour. Now, if you don't play Warframe, Platinum is the premium currency that you would otherwise have to pay real money for. But yeah, so they're giving, they're allowing me to give away 150 of, of their premium currency every hour, as long as I'm doing Warframe or even Warframe-related content. So if I decide to do my CAD work or my prop work, that counts. So yeah, if you if you play Warframe, or chances are I'm going to be doing more prop work than, than actual gaming. So if you want to see me do my CAD work and so forth, hey, that'll be the time to do it. Twitch.tv slash widescreenjohn. So yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm almost... Did I cross the 900 follower mark yet? I think I did. I was streaming the other night and got hit by three raids and a bunch of followers from that. I think I'm over 900. I'm not sure. Which, honestly, I never expected to get close to 1,000, ever. But apparently, 
it's you know apparently my stream is even coming up on Twitch's recommended channels, which granted that's based on the streams that you watch. Otherwise, it's like, well, hey, hey, here's another streamer who watches the kind or who streams the kind of stuff that you watch. So maybe you might want to see him. And it's not like I'll ever get popular enough to be on Twitch's you know main page. That hey, here's look here's a Twitch streamer that everybody should see. <laughs> that that'll never happen, and I understand that, and I'm cool with that. But anyway, yeah, so my Twitch popularity is very, very slowly going up and up and up and up. But you know, it, it's it's cool to be recognized by digital extremes. That is very cool. So yeah, July 4th and July 5th, I have no general schedule. But since I have both July 4th and July 5th off from both of my jobs, I can stream whenever the freaking hell I want. Whereas now, because of having jobs and so forth, I have to restrict my streaming to evening, Eastern time. I don't have to those two days, so I'm, those are going to be some nice long streams. No, I'm not going to do a 48-hour stream. I'm not that dumb, but it should be fun. We'll see what happens. So that's that's pretty much it since the last show. Not a whole hell of a lot going on otherwise, but if that's the case, might as well get to the real stuff. And as long as we're talking about gaming, and you know, long-time listeners know my hatred for smart TVs. So, I mean, yes, I don't just talk about movies and, and home theater. I also talk about sometimes gaming and general technology because it's my show and I can talk about whatever the hell I want. Besides, most of the people who listen to this stream, their interests are more than just movies and home theater. They also go into gaming and things like that. So it makes total sense for me to go into gaming and, and topics of that nature on occasion. And this is one of those occasions. So Microsoft has announced that there's going to be an Xbox app for smart TVs. And what that means is that, it, well, it's going to be like Google Stadia, you know, you, you, or what is it, PlayStation Now, where you're playing the games from that console, but you're playing them as a streaming function. So you don't need a console. All you need is some kind of joystick. You know, on most TVs, I'm, actually, I'm not sure how that's going to work with a smart TV. Uh... I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work, but Microsoft is bringing their Xbox Game Pass as an app to smart TVs, so you can play Xbox games without having an Xbox console, which is actually really freaking smart, considering that there are still component issues. You know, it's it's still difficult to get PlayStation 5s and new Xbox consoles. So they said they will first bring the app to Samsung's 2022 smart TVs, and then they'll expand to other manufacturers after that. The company said the app will be available starting June 30th, so which is, well, okay. You're, the, the app is already out now. Uh, so it's now out in 27 countries. So the Game Pass service costs $10 a month and includes an option for people playing on PCs and streaming by the... Whatever. This is about smart TVs. But I will admit, I kind of wish we had something similar to this on PlayStation. We don't. Uh, they... Xbox Game Pass has a whole bunch of games that you can play whenever you want, and then they rotate some of the more premium games uh, every few months for you to play. Uh, so, oh, here we are. Gamers will be able to play the Xbox app with Sony's Bluetooth-connected DualSense controllers as well as Microsoft's wireless Xbox controllers. Although, uh, how do you connect it to your TV? Hmm, that's, that's interesting. I mean, do TVs have Bluetooth receivers in them? Well, I mean, I guess newer TVs probably do. But anyway, so if you're considering, or you know, you, you've been wanting an Xbox console, but you haven't been able to find one, but you do have a, a compatible smart TV, then that might be an option for you. 
Get ready for a new batch of HDMI cables to be coming out. Oh, Monster's going to have fun overcharging for this one. New HDMI cables are going to be integrating a feature called Cable Power, which allows you to power devices like Blu-ray players and streaming video players by getting their power through the HDMI cable and not needing a separate power supply. I mean, even, God, even the Chromecast hockey puck dongle, that needs to be powered by a separate USB connection. Now, granted, in that case, you can usually plug it into a USB port that's on the TV, since most TVs have that anymore. But still, the fact that it can't get its power over the HDMI cable is kind of weird. And that's, that's now going to be rectified. So HDMI cable power has gotten the okay from the HDMI licensing administrator. And apparently it can draw up to 300 milliamp hours, which, I mean, I guess that's enough to power some small devices. I doubt that's going to power something like a, a Blu-ray player. But apparently this does have some interesting limitations. Uh, so the HDMI cables that are going to support this, you have to have it plugged in the right way. Whatever device is going to be su supplying the power, you have to make sure that the right end of the cable is plugged into that one. So yes, these cables are actually going to be marked one direction. So they're going to be labeling the one end HDMI source, which makes sense. But this one, <laughs> instead of like HDMI destination, you know, source, destination. No, this one's going to be called the HDMI sync. S-I-N-K. Not S-Y-N-C, S-I-N-K. So you've got the source and the sink. Not kidding. <laughs> so, God. so the new HDMI power cables are going to come in all the normal standards that they have. The standard, the high speed, the premium high speed, the ultra high speed, and then the monster super ultra fantastic ripoff speed. But they do say that any HDMI cable with cable power will work like any other standard HDMI cable. Uh, so if you don't have devices that require power, you can still use this cable for it. No word on when the new cables are going to be out, but there's just... <laughs> Sync. Really? Long-time listeners know that I am a big 3D fan. I absolutely love 3D, and the whole thing lately is that 3D Blu-ray and you know, 3D in the home is dead, right? Well, kind of, yeah, but it's not dead yet. Not, not fully. It's still got some breath in it. I've mentioned before that uh, there is an organization called the 3D Film Archive, and what they have been doing is getting the rights to older 3D films that obviously nobody is really interested in anymore. But, you know, they get, the, they get the rights to it, and they get the original film elements, and they remaster them, and then make them available on 3D Blu-ray. And you might be thinking, why? And it's like, well, why the hell not? It's called preservation. And keep in mind that the whole reason why widescreen.org was created in the first place was preservation of movies, uh, originally in the way that they were presented in theaters, but now it's just general movie preservation, TV as well. So even if these are movies where you're going to be thinking, <laughs> I don't care. It's all about preservation and making sure that these movies are available. So the first one that 3D Archive has uh, made available, and this one, of course, is going through Kino Lorber because they're, they're the ones who are pretty much doing all of this. Uh, it's called Treasure of the Four Crowns, which was 1983. Apparently, it is not a good movie, and it's one of those movies where the 3D is an excuse to throw every single thing at the screen that they possibly can. 
So if you've never heard of this movie, I'm not surprised. A character named J.T. Stryker is a thief for hire, uh, and then after plundering, then escaping an underground cave to retrieve a mysterious key from the assorted relics there while also avoiding ghostly wrath of flying spears and fireballs. <gasps> He's hired once again for another assignment. Okay. <laughs> he is to assemble a group of thieves to infiltrate the castle of an evil cult, which is under heavy guard and houses two ancient crowns containing precious gems. And as you might have guessed, this takes uh, a lot of things very heavily from Raiders of the Lost Ark. So this new restoration is going to be available in three separate presentations within the same set. Uh, it's going to be polarized 3D, anaglyph, which is the red-blue 3D, and normal 2D, all on the same disc. Now that is the kind of stuff that is supposed to have been done in the first place, but no. No. Hollywood decided, you know what, we could charge more money if we include separate 3D and 2D discs. And it is absolutely, and I will fight this one tooth and nail, it is exactly one of the reasons why 3D failed in the home. The 3D Blu-ray spec is that any 3D Blu-ray is supposed to be playable in both 3D and 2D players. There was, there was zero reason, absolutely no reason, to, to have separate 3D and 2D Blu-ray discs. It was built into the spec, but Hollywood, you know, decided, hey, if we include another disc, we can charge more. So anyway, the plot of this movie is generally considered to be pointless. I mean, uh, <laughs> the digital bits gives the actual movie uh, a D+. Plus. <laughs> a D+. Plus. Not quite an F, you know. But they graded the video with respect, with respect to the restoration and the stuff getting thrown at you at a B plus. So you're, you're not buying this disc for plot. But, I mean, if you're a fan of 3D, you don't need to have a 3D TV because it has the red-blue version included with it. Similarly, and of course, this is from the 3D Film Archive, I, the Jury has been restored, and that's being released in 3D. This is not being released by Kino Lorber. This is being released by Classic Flicks. And apparently this is their first 3D release. Now, I don't have any specs on the Blu-ray for this. All they're saying is that it's going to be released at some point later this year. Uh, whether it's going to also have an anaglyph version, I don't know. Considering that they haven't made 3D TVs in the past few years, so it's only people who still have them that can view a, a 3D Blu-ray, I'd be surprised if they don't also include the red-blue version. But if I can find out more later on, I will certainly let you know. Now, normally at this point, I'll go over the latest box office numbers, which will make absolutely no sense, because by the time you hear this, a totally new weekend will have passed. So I'm not even going to bother with that. However, Top Gun Maverick has absolutely been dominating the box office. It has now passed the $1 billion mark worldwide. As I record this, it's made $534 million domestically, $486 million internationally. It became the third Hollywood movie of the whole pandemic era, as they're calling it, to cross the $900 million mark, which means that it is now in the number two spot. Uh, it has replaced uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which made $950 million worldwide. But it's a long way from the number one box office earner, which is Spider-Man No Way Home at $1.9 worldwide. So it's got quite a long way to go, but needless to say, it has done superbly well. 
Yes, I know. I could make an aviation joke about how it's gone supersonic or or something like that. Whatever. It, it doesn't apply. So I'm not going to do it. It's like the stupid Comcast or Xfinity commercials that I'm seeing lately where they're talking about supersonic Wi-Fi. I'm, that's part of the... It would get supersonic Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi doesn't make any sound. There is nothing that can be supersonic about Wi-Fi, Xfinity, boneheads. Oh, we're in the marketing department for Xfinity, and we think that's going to sound really cool to have supersonic Wi-Fi. Uh, which way did he go? Which way did he go, George? Oh, idiots. Anyway, <laughs> tangent. And while certainly not setting any box office records, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 has been doing very well. That's crossed the $400 million mark worldwide. And considering that it had a budget of only $110 million, only, only, but you know, needless to say, it has gone past where it should, and it is now considered to be a profit movie. My god, are, are video game movies actually now becoming good? And then we go in the opposite direction with Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore, which, yeah, it's pretty much dead in the U.S. after eight weeks. It came in at only $100 million domestic. Its eighth weekend only brought in 800, sorry, 380,000. So that actually brings the final domestic total to 95 million, although it's done exceedingly well overseas. Well, I don't want to say exceedingly, because uh, it's still kind of iffy whether or not it's considered to be a profit or not. It might not even be break even. Uh, internationally, it had $309 million. So worldwide, so far, it's only made $405 million on a $200 million budget. That's. Yeah. I mean, maybe break-even, maybe not. Probably under break-even. But, I mean, don't be surprised if they decide to make another one. Now, interestingly, you know that I'm a... Obviously, just because of what I had earlier in the podcast, I am a big 3D fan. And there are a lot of... Uh, there are various outlets that are saying that Jurassic World Dominion is signaling a return to 3D because it made uh, $143 million on its domestic debut of which 25% was 3D and IMAX showings. Now, granted, it's not like if it was 50%, that'd be something else. But the fact that on its opening weekend, a quarter of the people who went to see Jurassic World Dominion went to see it in 3D or IMAX, that's pretty significant. Now, obviously, the big test is going to be the next Avatar movie, which is at least filmed in 3D. And the original Avatar, when it debuted back in 2009... Yeah, 2009 was actually praised by critics and audiences for its use of being filmed in 3D, so it added to the story without being front and center. No pun intended, but you know what I mean. It wasn't a gimmick like, you know, throwing things to the screen just to throw them to the screen. But we'll see what happens. You know, now that, uh, I think I mentioned in the last podcast that, that, that theaters, a lot of theaters are now upgrading to laser projectors instead of light bulbs. So that means that it's possible for theaters to actually have, you know, brighter, higher contrast movies, which will make 3D more effective. Obviously, movies are still being released in 3D. So the studios think there's obviously, you know, an audience out there for it. Hopefully it can come back to at least, well, I doubt it'll ever come back to where it was in its heyday. It would be nice. Now, if we could get it back into the home, that would be freaking awesome. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen until we get glasses-free 3D TV. And that's probably not going to happen now. And well, as long as we're on the topic of James Cameron and 3D, Titanic is going to be celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. 
sorry, next year, my bad. And it's going to be re-released in theaters in Valentine's Day weekend next year. It's going to be a remastered version and will be available in 3D, 4K, high dynamic range, and high frame rate. That part... Eh. I mean, if you know what to expect with high frame rate, then I guess it's not too bad. I saw The Hobbit in high frame rate. I actually drove like an hour and 15 minutes to a theater to see that. It's okay. You know, it, it, it's the soap opera effect that you know you're going to get with, with high frame rate. And yeah, I got the soap opera effect. It looked like The Hobbit was filmed on video. And I mean, it didn't turn me off because I, I was expecting it. You know, I, I knew it was going to look like that. Arguably, it made high action sequences clearer, but there, it wasn't like I walked out of there thinking, golly, I'm so glad I saw that in high frame rate. No, I mean, granted, high frame rate could simply mean more than 24 frames per second. It could mean 48. It doesn't necessarily mean 60. Anyway, the original Titanic, 1997, was not shown in 3D. It was then converted to 3D 15 years later, back in 2012. And because it was, it was originally shot on 35mm film, then being able to go 4K high dynamic range shouldn't be a problem. But that also means that to go with uh, a higher frame rate means that they're going to have to interpolate and maybe run it through some AI. Eh, whatever. I mean, obviously, it would be better if it was actually filmed that way. But, okay, when it comes to technical stuff like this, I will trust James Cameron. He is very specific. And if he didn't think it would work, he wouldn't do it. So, there you go. If you love Titanic and you want to see it again in 3D and high dynamic range and all of that, then Valentine's Day will be your time. There have been a lot of concerns about Deadpool now that it's under the mouse house, and heaven forbid that the mouse house do anything that would gear more toward adults, you know, because we we're talking about the company that went back and digitally removed cleavage from its cartoons, digitally removed cigars from its cartoons, digitally added fur to a mermaid's butt. So there's been a lot of concern as to what's going to happen with Deadpool 3. Uh, but apparently... Deadpool 3 writer Rhett Reese has said that so far, Deadpool is still going to be Deadpool. He said there might have been one or two jokes where Disney kind of pushed back and said, yeah, you're, you're going a bit too far on that one. Who knows how low that bar is for Disney. But he did say that the Deadpool 3 movie is going to be a fish-out-of-water story, saying that it's a wonderful opportunity for fish-out-of-water. Deadpool is a lunatic at the center of a movie, to drop that lunatic into a very sane world, it's straight butter. It's going to be really fun. What does that mean? I have no freaking idea. A couple of movie dates have been pushed back. Dune Part 2 is being pushed back a couple of weeks, nothing major, from October 20th, 2023 to November 17th, 2023, which means it will then have the advantage of playing over the Thanksgiving weekend. But that also means that it's going to face competition from the Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is the prequel that, uh, I guess, people want. I don't know. <laughs> what? Are, this is Hollywood. What do they care if people want it? Uh, and the next install, installment? installment of uh, Godzilla and Kong and so forth is going to hit on March 15th, 2024. No big surprise that there's going to be a sequel to that one because it was released in March 2021, which was kind of smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, but still earned $468 million globally. I guess that was the start of the pandemic. 
No, no, the start, the start was 2020. Oh God. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been a rough two years. So yeah, right in the middle of the pandemic and it's still made almost 470 million. So no surprise that they're coming out with a sequel on that one. If you're a fan of Nickelodeon's version of Avatar, then you will be happy to hear that they are coming out with three new movies. All of them are currently untitled, but Avatar co-creators, oh, I hope I get this one right, uh, Brian Konetsko, I hope I got that, and Michael DiMartino will produce, and Lauren Montgomery, who worked on the original TV series, is attached to direct uh, at least the first of the three movies. No release dates yet, but I will, of course, let you know. Uh, a sequel that's not surprising whatsoever, there is going to be a sequel to Joker. Now, apparently Joaquin Phoenix has not yet signed the deal, but considering that the original Joker movie got over a billion dollars worldwide, no real surprise that, that there's going to be a sequel. So director Todd Phillips revealed on Instagram that the sequel script he just wrote, or, or that there is a sequel script that he just wrote, and that Joaquin Phoenix is currently reading it. So right now the screenplay is titled Joker, I hope I get this right, uh, Folie à deux, which is a French reference meaning a medical term pertaining to a mental disorder which affects two or more people. The first Joker was the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time, 1.07 billion worldwide, 11 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, and therefore, you know, any chance to, to try to capture that again with a second movie is not surprising, and apparently... Lady Gaga is in early talks to join him. Now, keep in mind that condition that I mentioned earlier says that it refers to a medical term uh, regarding a, an identical or similar mental disorder that affects two or more individuals, usually members of the same family. So chances are, if Lady Gaga is going to be part of this, she's going to probably play his sister. But it could, seeing as how we are talking about the Joker, could be Harley Quinn. And that's not all. This one is in, in the, the solid rumor category. According to sources, the sequel is going to be a musical. Didn't necessarily see that one coming. So obviously this is in, uh, well, I guess it's in a pre-production state. Obviously they haven't even signed on Joaquin Phoenix yet. But whatever happens with that, you know that I will, of course, pass that on to you as soon as I find out anything. No surprise here, Disney is continuing its run of converting its more popular uh, more recent cartoons over to live action. So Aladdin director Guy Ritchie is now bringing forth a live action Hercules. There's pretty much nothing else to go on at this point. The studio is still in the process of hiring writers. So I've got nothing else to go on that one except that get ready for a live action Aladdin. No real updates on the Dirty Dancing sequel except that it's obviously starring Jennifer Grey and it will be hitting theaters on February 9th, 2024. Nothing else to go on on that one, just wanted to give you the release date. In news that's probably going to be some concern to some people out there, uh, it's going to be a couple of years for the next James Bond movie, because according to Barbara Broccoli, we're reinventing him. That's her quote. What does that mean? No clue. So she says it's going to be at least two years before they even begin to film, and the task of replacing Daniel Craig hasn't even begun because, quote, uh, it's a reinvention of Bond. At this point, she said, nobody's in the running. We're working out where to go with him. We're talking that through. There isn't a script, and we can't come up with one until we decide how we're going to approach the next film, because really, it's a reinvention of Bond. 
We're reinventing who he is, and that takes time. I'd say that filming is at least two years away. Well, let the speculation begin on what the reinvention is going to be. I've, I've, I don't know. <laughs> I doubt they're going to uh, change the gender because several people, including those who are involved with Bond films, have said, you know, if you're going to do that, just make it a whole new IP, which I understand that. Not saying I agree or disagree. I'm not that vested in the James Bond franchise to really care. But who knows what's going to happen? Well, and you know, we got two years to speculate. Not too much of a surprise here, but Ghostbusters Afterlife is getting a sequel. I guess it's a little bit of a test. I mean, the movie was very well received, uh, but it didn't even make $200 million off a $75 million budget. But again, I mean, it was released smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. But obviously the potential is there, and so many good things have been said about it, at least, you know, things that I've heard. And even the critics, the critics seem to like it as well. I guess it's no surprise that they're going to try again. And what we have is that the next Ghostbusters movie will be hitting on December 20th, 2023, just in time for the Christmas season. And in this case, the sequel will return to the original New York City and Firehouse setting. Now, the only one thing that might be a problem is that it's unknown if Bill Murray is going to return. Uh, because he is currently starring in Aziz Ansari's Searchlight film being mortal, being mortal, but it was shut down in April after the studio received complaints about Bill Murray's behavior on the set. Who knows where that's going to go, or, or if anything happens from it. Guess we'll find out, but you can look forward to Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel next year. Now, I'm sure that even if you haven't seen it, you've heard of My Big Fat Greek Wedding from 2002, uh, even if you never saw the movie, I'm sure you know how huge of a success it was. It was made for only $5 million, and it made almost $370 million worldwide. Huge, huge surprise success. Uh, there was a sequel in 2016. It, too, was a big success. It had an $18 million budget and brought in $90 million worldwide. Granted, it's not nearly as much as the original one made, but it still made... Four times as much? So, yeah, no matter how you look at it, that's a success. Well, well, you know where this is going. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 has started production. And this time, Nia Vardalos is not only starring in the movie, she is also directing it. She did announce last year that it was at least in development, but obviously with COVID, things kind of, you know, got pushed back. And now they've decided that it's time to get this third one going. That will probably be a while before we know anything about a release date chances are eh, probably late next year maybe maybe valentine's day 2014 14 14 jesus john 2024 <laughs> oh yeah half an hour into the podcast and john's getting tired already you're swinging with the widescreen podcast Adam, what have your powers ever given to you? Nothing but heartache. I was a slave until I died. Then I was reborn a god. My son sacrificed his life to save me.
in this world. They're heroes. They're villains. Heroes don't kill people. Well, I do. I'm pretty sure I don't need to explain what that movie was, seeing as how they mentioned it in the first, oh, you know, two seconds. But yes, that is the official trailer for Black Adam. Dwayne Johnson, star no, Dwayne Johnson starring in the title role. And if you want to see the trailer for yourself, and I do recommend you do, then, uh, you know, it'll be in the show notes. So this one is squarely in the rumor mill. Uh, Apparently, I don't know anything about comics. Anybody who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows I'm not big into any kind of comics. But just like we had Suicide Squad for DC, where you had villains who did some work for the government, Marvel has their own version. Apparently, they're called the Thunderbolts, and yes, you see where this is going. Again, strictly the rumor mill here, uh, but apparently, Marvel has brought on board Paper Towns director Jake Schreier, to do the directing. So, not much is known about the plot, except that, and this is why I say it's very similar to Suicide Squad, uh, it revolves around a group of supervillains, or at least characters who played bad guys at one point in the Marvel Universe, who go on missions for the government. That's pretty much it. So, uh, they say that it's vague into which character will be part of this team, since the film technically is still in development. Uh, but sources say... Marvel has been in touch with certain individuals who are already part of the MCU to make sure that they keep an opening in their schedules for next summer when the movie shoots. And that's it. So it's all rumor, all speculation. Of course, if I find out anything, I will let you know. Now, this next one, you know, I mentioned, now that I think about it, I mentioned before about our video game movies finally getting good. Uh, this next one is likely to be problematic apparently <laughs> legendary has picked up the movie rights from gearbox entertainment with cobra kai creators on board to produce this thing apparently duke nukem is going to be getting a movie uh now if, if you don't know anything about duke nukem it was released in 1991 it was a huge hit, especially when Duke Nukem 3D came out in 1996. It was a huge critical hit, and it helped to, to set the bar for first-person games at the time. But but the the where I have a problem with it, I don't want to say I have a problem with this, but I don't see where this can translate to to modern movie making. Duke Nukem is the stereotypical 80s action hero. Really rough, really gruff, full of testosterone. Women are just playthings to him. And he's throwing out a bunch of one-liners that are nothing, you know, a bunch of movie one-liners, you know. I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of gum. The problem is, if you played Duke Nukem 3D nowadays, and you don't put it in the perspective of when it was created, it's probably full of cringe. No, probably about it, it's full of cringe especially in its treatment of women. And then skip ahead to Duke Nukem Forever, which was an absolute disaster of a game. And, you know, he's, he's drawing with his, his poop, and he's just... You know, one of the first scenes is him peeing in a urinal. 
Not that you see anything, but you know what's going on. So he's, he's that kind of action hero. I really have no clue how you're going to be able to keep him as Duke Nukem for a modern audience and still have it be Duke Nukem that we knew growing up. I mean, don't, don't misunderstand. I've played Duke Nukem 3D dozens, if not hundreds of times. I had every secret memorized. I knew where all the weapons were and the shields and, and all of that. But I, I, just, I don't know how it's going to translate to a modern movie. So right now, there's no writer, there's no director on board. But it's very much a product of the 90s. So I don't know what's going to happen. All we can do is wait. And there's still no word on whether it's going to be theatrical or streaming. I can't, I can't see this being theatrical, to be honest. We'll see. I'll let you know when I find out more. I mentioned before about how Spider-Man No Way Home has been an absolutely huge success. It is now, not adjusting for inflation, number six in global box office ever at $1.9 billion. Avatar is still, obviously, reigning champ on that one at $2.8 billion. But you never know. Spider-Man No Way Home might actually top Avatar because it's being re-released into theaters and it's going to be an extended edition. It is being called, and I'm not kidding, Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun stuff version. What's interesting is Sony is calling this a fan cut, whatever the hell that means, but apparently they're expanding certain scenes and they're adding new scenes to it. So it's going to hit theaters uh, on the Labor Day holiday, which is the first weekend basically here in the u.s and right now it's only scheduled for the u.s and canada other countries are scheduled to be added soon tickets are going to start going on sale on august 9th with screenings starting on friday september 2nd so considering how popular it's been and now that they're adding new scenes a whole bunch of fans are going to go and watch it again i don't blame them so you never know you never know it is possible that Spider-Man No Way Home could, at, well, maybe not topple Avatar, but maybe threaten it. We'll see. In a move that will surprise absolutely no one who's been keeping an eye out on this stuff, Paddington is getting yet another sequel. Considering that Paddington 2 was made for $40 million and brought $227 million worldwide, yeah, that's a success. So now Paddington 3 has found its director, apparently uh, award-winning commercial filmmaker, commercials filmmaker, Douglas Wilson has been tapped to direct, and right now it's being titled Paddington in Peru. So this is going to be Wilson's theatrical feature film debut, and he's taking over for Paul King, who was behind the first two Paddington movies. But unfortunately, well, I don't want to say unfortunately, but right now, uh, King is actually working on Warner Brothers' Charlie and the Chocolate Factory prequel called Wonka. According to this, Paddington in Peru will begin principal photography next year, filming on location in both London and, duh, Peru. And although King won't be directing this time around, he will be on board as an executive producer. And he also wrote the story with previous collaborators uh, Simon Farnaby and Mark Burton. So as of right now, the cast and plot of the third film is still being kept under wraps. And of course, no release date. Which of course, if I find anything out, well, duh, I'll tell you. That's kind of what I do. Get ready to possibly feel old again. There's, there's so much to feel old about lately. Men in Black 
is returning to theaters for its 25th anniversary. Yes, it was originally released in 1997. One for the kids or those who are young at heart. Uh, and yeah, well, for me, I couldn't care less. <laughs> if you like little blue people, no, I'm not talking about Avatar. I said little blue people. Chris Miller, the director of the original 2011 Puss in Boots, is set to direct an untitled Smurfs musical. Yeah, currently it is slated for a December 20th, 2024 release date. Obviously, that can change. And this is to be the first of multiple movies based on the Smurf intellectual property. Yeah, you can have that. But I mean, that, that's just one of the many, uh, one of the many animated movies that Paramount has ready to come out. Paramount Animations is going to also be releasing Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank, on July 15th. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for August 4th of next year. Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, set for August 13th of next year. Sorry, October 13th of next year. And The Tiger's Apprentice for December 20th of next year. Okay, might be interested in the Turtles. I mean, clearly, I was a teenager in the 80s, so... Duh. More gaming news, and this time coming from Sony... They've set an August 11th, 2023 release date for their movie adaptation of their game franchise, Gran Turismo, which, of course, is, you know, it's a big racing game. So according to this, based on a true story, the film is the ultimate wish-fulfillment tale of a teenage Gran Turismo player whose gaming skills won a series of Nissan competitions to become an actual professional race car driver. At this point, I'm assuming that it's going to be a theatrical release. I mean, after all, Sony did Uncharted, which did very well in the theater, has made $400 million. Although it is possible that this could uh, end up going to a streaming service. That was the rumor early on, and apparently that rumor has been... Well, I mean, other people in the rumor mill have said that, no, that rumor is not accurate. So we can assume it's going to be a theatrical release at this point. So no, I guess we'll just have to find out. I just want the Horizon Zero Dawn series. Just give me that, please. Give me that. We've known for a while that Taika Waititi is making his own Star Wars movie that is still going forward. What is going to be about? Oh, nobody knows except Taika Waititi at this point, it seems. Obviously, the last Star Wars film was that freaking abomination, The Rise of Skywalker. <coughs> but what little he is saying about it is that it will be something entirely fresh. Uh, he said recently, look, I think for, for the Star Wars universe to expand, it has to expand. I don't think that I'm I don't think that I'm any use in the Star Wars universe making a film where everyone's like, "Oh great, well, that's the blueprints of the Millennial Falcon. Ah, that's Chewbacca's grandmother. That all stands alone. That's great. Although I would like to take something new and create some new characters and just expand the world. Otherwise, it feels like a very small story, which is what I was kind of hoping for for the sequel trilogy. Long-time listeners will remember that I said, "Hey, you know if you're going to do that, Keep it out of the Skywalker family. Just, just go someplace new. Star Wars is huge. There's so much that you can do with it. You don't have to include Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and, and everyone. Just take it someplace completely new. I mean, to Ryan Johnson's credit, that's at least what he tried to do with The Last Jedi. And now, in, in, in retrospect, I appreciate that. And apparently, Taika Waititi is along my wavelength when it comes to that train of thought. Again, no release date. Uh, but Kathleen Kennedy did indicate that we could expect to see it sometime next year. So we'll just have to wait to see what happens. But yes, it would be very nice for that to 
completely just just ignore all the crap that we know uh, as it is now and just expand on it there's so much that they can do i mean come on the guy took thor and made it into a highly successful comedy movie so i i'm i'm eager to see what he's going to do with star wars and yes i will see it theatrically just to keep that streak going but in this case i'm not going to fear it because it's it's taika waititi if it was jj abrams yeah screw that and finally wow this is a short podcast all things considered i guess i haven't been rambling on as much as i normally do and i've been you know i've been of the mindset to get this done and get it recorded and finished so here we go this one is also star wars related a star wars x-wing fighter model used in the original 1977 movie has fetched 2.3 2.3 million dollars at auction according to prop store auction this was the screen matched red leader x-wing miniature model created by ilm and they were estimating it was going to go for half a million to a million the final price was two million three hundred seventy five thousand how i wish i could just afford that not that i'd buy it but god i wish i could just afford that so apparently this model is extraordinarily rare as most of them were destroyed by pyrotechnics while filming the movie's battle sequence with the Death Star. So according to the details on this one, uh, the model screen matches to a specific pyro shot of an explosion going off in Red Leader's, Red Leader's engine in the film. Several behind-the-scenes photos taken at ILM uh, exist that show the model extremely well. Every scratch and airbrush mark, airbrush mark in the paintwork can be matched up exactly to those images from 1976. So yeah, if you've ever seen the behind-the-scenes features for, for what they do with these ships when they're blowing up, yeah, they actually do blow them up. They run the film at ridiculously high speed. Uh, normally the camera is directly above it, sorry, directly under it. The model is exactly above. So that way the, the gravity, you know, with the explosion going outward, it'll look even. Again, depending on the shot, sometimes it's a direct side view. But I mean, when they detonate those things, yeah, the ships fly apart. So the fact that this one is still intact and in one piece, not surprised that it fetched a whole lot of money. But yeah, someone got a very rare original X-Wing from the original movie, 2.3 million. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous, I admit. And that's it. We're done. This is a short podcast. Wow, only not even 50 minutes going on. I don't know. Maybe there just wasn't a lot to talk about. I don't know. But chances are by the time you hear this, July 4th will have passed. So for my fellow Yankees, I hope you had a safe and happy July 4th. Insert rant about reduced freedoms thanks to our Supreme Court here. And for those of you who are not my fellow Yankees, I hope you simply had a good Monday. But that's it. Stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and bye for now. I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real. Keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight and there ain't no exception We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside
This podcast is copyright 2022 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The Widescreen Podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's BlueberryNoEase.com. Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at PoetsOfTheFall.com. This has been a widescreen.org production. And don't forget to follow me on Twitch and Twitter, widescreenjohn. <laughs>